Welcome to the Fan Experience, a Phoenix Rising supporters podcast. Stick around for interviews, analysis, fan stories, and our love affair with Phoenix Rising. And now to kick things off is your host, Niall McCarthy. Phoenix Rising family, thank you for joining us. We've got a great show lined up for you today. start the show today by congratulating Aiden Quinn and Greg Hurst for their inclusion in USL Championships Team of the Week for Week 1 after outstanding performances against Monterey Bay. Congratulations too to Arturo Rodriguez for earning an honourable mention. It's unlikely that the boys will earn honours after this week's game against Vegas on March 19th. Kelly McCarthy is with us to review that game. It was a shocking 2-1 loss that was confounded by an exceptionally bad pitch that clearly was not maintained in the off-season or even made to look presentable for a professional game of footy. It's Vegas, baby, so the show must go on, and on it went, complete with all the trimmings. There was a hype man on the sidelines, spewing hype and hate. There was a llama in the stadium. Why? No good reason. Their mascot, Cash, was making appearances everywhere, including in Vegas's goal celebrations. Vegas fans were on beds that were placed on the field, too close to the sidelines, and the front office, Vegas's front office, thought that it would be a good idea to turn all the lights in the stadium off within seconds of the ref blowing the final whistle. Could any good come of that? Nope. Both teams had to deal with the bad pitch and all the distractions, but allowing their hype man to call out and disrespect individual Phoenix Rising players over the stadium PA system, that's a new low. Give it up, Las Vegas. How about the game itself, a 2-1 loss? Were we outmaneuvered? Here's the thing. On last week's show, our guest analyst, Teo Mackey, he's a sports journalist with the Arizona Republic, he warned that lesser teams than Phoenix Rising would play a defensive game. They would sit back, absorb the pressure from Phoenix and aggressively counter. The Lights were the worst team in the Western Conference last year and that's exactly the tactic they adopted for this game against Phoenix. They sat back while we maintained the bulk of the possession, 61% according to the stats. We attacked very sloppily in the first half. They intercepted, cleared the ball out of danger and while we covered our eyes, their forwards launched strong counter-attacks, beating our defenders. We were all very thankful for the quick reactions of our goalie Ben Lunt. More about that and we'll hear what Kelly thinks of it all in a little bit. After the game roundup, John Morrissey, who you know by at USL Tactics on Twitter, is back with us for an amazing segment where he reviews the results around the league that matter to Phoenix Rising fans. He focuses his attention to last week's rivals, Monterey Bay. How did they do this week? Well, John will let us know. He looks at our main rivals in the Western Conference. Obviously, that means Orange County, but also New Mexico, always good for a road trip, and San Diego, who we play next week. Before the season started, John worked out his version of power rankings for the league, and his numbers showed that number one in our conference, the Western Conference, was not Phoenix but Sacramento Republic, so I asked John to keep an eye on them for us so that we'd know what we're dealing with when it's time to play them. 
John also helps out the rising fan base by keeping an eye on our Western Conference rivals, Tampa Bay Rowdies and Louisville. And he'll let us know about any upsets in the league. I know, I know, it's hard to beat the upset of Las Vegas beating Phoenix, but maybe he's got some other stories for us. He's also joining us to keep us up to date on news from around the league. This week's highlight is news of a big loss on Orange County's roster. Bad for them, good for us. After John's segment, we're going to have a little fun answering the questions, what's it like at an MLS game? How's it different to a Phoenix Rising game? Which is better, the USL experience or the MLS experience? Kelly and I were in LA, so we took in an LA Galaxy home game, and we've got the answers for you. Spoiler alert, there was a lot of... Nah, I'm not going to spoil it for you. We'll round it out with a preview of Phoenix Rising FC's next game, which is a home game against Landon Donovan's San Diego Loyal on March 26, 2022. We're excited for the San Diego Loyal game, and if you need more adrenaline in your life, the US men's national team will play Mexico, Panama and Costa Rica over the next few weeks in the final round of the World Cup qualifiers. Fun times! Before we get too excited about what's in store for us in our next game, let's get to that roundup of our loss to Vegas. I thought I'd never say those words, our loss to Vegas. Ugh. Here it goes. This is Bobby Dooley, General Manager of Phoenix Rising Football Club, and you're listening to The Fan Experience. Phoenix Rising family on Saturday, March 19th, Phoenix Rising traveled to Las Vegas looking to beat Las Vegas lights like they have done so many times before. It turned out to be the upset of week two in the USL as our boys came up short losing two goals to one. Kelly McCarthy is with me to talk about the match. Kelly, welcome to the fan experience. I'd like to start by noting that there were there was disappointment on social media after the match. On Twitter, at I am Rappaport, he wrote, Ugh, a whole week of depression coming up. While at Vanis Legend 4L tweeted, not good enough. And every player knows it. So Kelly, many of the fans will be feeling down after that loss to Vegas and for sure the players know that it wasn't good enough. Are there any positive takeaways? Can you cheer us up at all? (laughs) I wanted to give my classic no. (laughs) Of course, there's always positives. I mean, I have to say I'm sort of in the UG team, but you know, it's early in the season. There are time there's time to fix things. There's time to make an adjustments. Now, is this a positive? I don't know. The fans will decide, but we happen to play the Las Vegas Lights three times this season. It's the only team in the USL that will be playing three times. So we really will get a chance to improve our style of play against them. So, you know, that's potentially a positive. And it also highlighted some of our weaknesses, some of which we've known, some of which we're probably working on. But, you know, here's the underscore that we needed. We need some depth in our center back positions. And we'll get into why in just a little bit. But, you know, that's a positive as well. We shine a spotlight on some of the weaknesses that we're seeing and we have time to improve them. Fantastic. Okay, let's get right into the game. Kelly, set the scene for us. Sure. So 
you know, we're playing against Las Vegas. There shouldn't be a lot of scene that needs to be set. <laughs> this is a franchise that we've pretty much always beaten. They've been around for about four years. I think they've only beaten us once. And we basically count on really punishing Las Vegas. I mean, it should be stated for anyone that didn't see the game. The pitch was in horrible, horrible condition. I mean, it was like, can I adjust my television? Like, I don't even want to look at it. You know, it was really bad. And this is going to impact how players play. Now, I guess the only saving grace there is that it impacts both sides. I mean, no one wants to play on a pitch that looks like this. And as far as I know, they practice in Los in um, LA, right? So this isn't, isn't field conditions that necessarily favors one team over the others. But moving into Vegas, you're always expecting shenanigans and you're generally prepared for that. But I think it was maybe next level last evening and we can get into a little bit of that. But Phoenix is coming to town with a week one win over Monterey four to two in our home opener. So we're feeling very confident. We're feeling like we're going to have a goal fest. We're feeling like, like we're facing a team that we always beat. So that's kind of, I think, the mentality for Phoenix Rising. And on the other hand, you've got Las Vegas. And this would prove to be a more grown-up version of the Las Vegas that we faced last year. Now, one of the big things to note about them is that they've got players that kind of swing between their MLS sister club, which is LAFC, and plays for Las Vegas Lights too. So they've got some players that we've seen that have MLS experience. And when we talk about the lineups, we'll see that they're going to be on those lineups for the evening. Yeah. And sorry, go ahead. No, not at all. Not at all. Uh, No excuses when talking about the pitch, no excuses when talking about the shenanigans. But in fairness, it's really hard to prepare for a game like that. So that's kind of what we were looking at at kickoff time. And we will get into talking more about the shenanigans, but you're talking about off-pitch shenanigans or at least not in the playing area of the pitch. So there were shenanigans going on around the pitch, in the stadium, over the loudspeakers, yes. So also I just wanted to add, Kelly, that a lot of Phoenix fans traveled to uh, Vegas, to Cashman Field for this game, but not a lot of Vegas fans showed up. In fact, their supporter section, I believe it's called, they're called, they call themselves the Electric Company. And they typically are behind the goal. They position themselves behind the goal in the stands there. And that whole area was empty last night. So their supporter section did not seem to show up. And I got confirmation of that from my buddy, James Bacon, who was at the match and said that he didn't see anybody from the supporter section. So that's kind of wild. So that really does set the scene for us. So Kelly, let's get into um, the lineup. And as I mentioned last week, one of the most exciting moments in the pregame buildup for me is the announcement of the starting 11. So let's run through it and see if there are any surprises. In goal, we had our goalie, Ben Lund. Right fullback, our captain, Darnell King. On the other side, left fullback, we had Babukar Anjay. And then center backs were Joey Farrell and Manuel Madrid. In the midfield, Kev Lambert, Aidan Quinn, Arturo Rodriguez. And then forwards, Santi Moore on the left wing, Marcus Epps on the right, and striker, Claudio Repetto, wearing the number 45 on his jersey. Kelly, at least one surprise in there. Yeah, absolutely. So we were very surprised to see Repetto as that starting number nine full forward position. 
And we found out later in a post-game interview with Rick Schantz that Greg Hurst, who is what we presume to be the season starting striker, pulled tore small tear, small pull on his hamstring. Let's call it a small hamstring injury because I don't have the details, but that's what Rick intimated, you know, not enough to be worrying, but enough that it wasn't worth it to put him on and risk further injury. So that was definitely a surprise, but not an unwelcome one. You know, we saw him do well in the preseason and we certainly have felt that he's capable. And then sort of the other quote unquote surprise, because it really wasn't one, was probably just the reappearance of Manuel Madrid. Now we saw him start in our home opener and we know that James Musa, although not listed on the injury list, is injured also with a hamstring pull tear, something along those lines. So, you know, at this point, I don't think most Phoenix Rising fans were surprised to see Manuel Madrid, but it's noteworthy because he's not quote unquote a starter for the team. Right, right. Okay. So after um, hearing that comment from Rick Schantz after the game about Greg Hurst um, not being match fit, if I can be so bold as to go that far, I was surprised to see him on the bench. Did you notice that, that he, he was listed on the bench? Yes, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Which is sort of curious. Yeah. Yeah. You know, okay. it, I think it's curious and maybe we'll talk about the subs a little bit later, but do you mind if I comment quickly, just sort of in contrast to our lineup and talk a little bit about the Las Vegas lineup? Oh God. We're going to talk about them. Are we? not too in-depth but there were just a few notables you know as we looked at their lineup prior to the match we could see that they had Jennings Musovsky and Trejo in their front line now two of those players Jennings and Musovsky have gotten LAFC slash MLS experience and time in 2021 and then Trejo he was a first round pick in the 2021 MLS super draft. So you've got three forwards who are both who all three of whom are very strong, very quick, and now have a year of experience under their belt. So kind of worth noticing and kind of worth kind of tactically thinking about how you want to play against this front three. They're small, they're fast, they're capable. And I also want to mention that their goalkeeper, Romero, he was a starter for LAFC last year. So great experience kind of on either end of the pitch for Las Vegas lights. And then the last thing I just wanted to comment on is they have a new manager, Enrique Duran. Now he's not new to the franchise. He was promoted from assistant coach. Niall, I think you mentioned this on the podcast last week. So their head coach, uh, Chirondolo left to become the head coach of LAFC and Enrique Duran was promoted. Now, I think it's notable to mention that Duran has a, a really impressive career and past, you know, before becoming the assistant coach for the Las Vegas Lights, which was what he served in that capacity last year. But notably, he worked for FC Barca. And I'm not sure exactly what his role was with that insane and amazing club, but something to do with international development, something to do with coaching methodology. So, I mean, this is a person who's very experienced and particularly experienced when it comes to sort of nuance of the game and tactical preparation. So this is something else to really think about when you're facing off against the lights and how they may have developed over the offseason. Yeah, I, I thought that the coach looked very comfortable on the sideline last night. A lot more comfortable than, than Steve Chirondolo did. But let's talk about just for a second. How did Las Vegas Lights do in the Western Conference last year? 
horribly. <laughs> so how does their coach get promoted to be the coach of an MLS team? <laughs> I don't really know how anything works when it comes to the Las Vegas lights, but as mentioned, you know, they've got this, this partnership with LAFC. So, you know, we're passing players back and forth. Let's try the same for coaches. And Trundala has a long and storied history himself in coaching. He's really no joke. And who knows, maybe that was part of part of the partnership that was struck was thinking about his coaching experience and how that would benefit the MLS team. Excellent. Okay, Kelly, let's get right into talking about the game. I felt that Phoenix came out really strong attacking from the get-go. And, you know, we got a free kick in the first minute. And I was thinking, whoa, this is what happened last week against Monterey Bay in our home opener. And we scored from that. But last night, it wasn't to be. It was the same thing that Quinn um, Quinn and Arturo Rodriguez stepped up to take that free kick. It was Quinn that took took the shot, but it wasn't a shot. It was a pass over to Rodriguez. Rodriguez back to Quinn. Quinn then took took a shot on goal, and it was wide. So um, I just felt like, whoa, we're off to a great start. How are you feeling at that point? And then just bring us through the next few minutes, Kelly. Absolutely. So I was feeling great. Agree with you. It was a pretty strong start, although. Spoiler, it wouldn't last too long. I liked seeing that free kick because, you know, we had uh, Teo Mackey with us last week in the game roundup, and he sort of talked about the amount of work that Phoenix Rising has put into their set plays in the offseason, and that was on full display. I mean, this was creative. It was different. It was fun. But as you mentioned, it wasn't meant to be. Phoenix continued with some momentum, but in the 12th minute, the Las Vegas lights got on the board. So it was pretty quickly putting Phoenix rising on our back foot. And truthfully, despite, you know, maybe a momentum map and how things maybe looked on paper, we really never recovered our footing. Yeah. Okay. So let's just briefly get into that first goal. Um, it was in the 12th minute. It was an assist by the amazing Cal Jennings who scored three goals on us in one game last year. Um, but it was Daniel Trejo that beat the keeper. So Kelly, can you talk us through that? What did you think of that goal and what, how, how did that goal happen? Yeah, it was, it was pretty rough, but I think it's worth talking about. <laughs> we try not to talk about the other team's goals, but I think it's really worth talking about because it's kind of a microcosm of the whole game, unfortunately, right. in one play. So it was a bad bad giveaway by Kevin Lambert. It was essentially a pass to Cal Jennings. This is not someone that you want to pass the ball directly to. He's got a ton of pace and Las Vegas lights in general, they were, they, they were this way last season and they really dialed it in. It appears for this season, they're just amazing on that transition. They are so quick, not only on the transition, but they're literally very speedy. So pass from Lambert to Jennings. And at that moment, at the instant that Jennings gets that possession, it's 3v1. There are three Phoenix players really behind the ball, but Cal Jennings just absolutely takes off. And as you'll come to hear, anytime there's a foot race, foot race, Phoenix Rising is not going to win it. He's just so much faster than Farrell and Madrid. And boom, Trejo just goes bombing up the left flank past everyone. Jennings sends a through ball to him. Honestly, it is much closer to Madrid, who just never sticks his foot out, never goes to ball. Instead, he tries to cut off the angle. Trejo is faster, picks up possessions, 
possession and just beats the keeper. I mean, honestly, I don't think Lunt knew exactly what to do since Madrid didn't go to the ball. Um, Lunt comes out and, you know, at that point he's kind of overcommitted and the ball just gets put past him to his left and into the side netting. I mean, it's great composure with, from Trejo and just tons of pace. I mean, they just outran us, beat us and scored. And like I said, it was really a foreshadowing of things to come. I mean, the announcer just kept saying the Phoenix rising defense cannot keep pace with the speed of the Las Vegas lights. And I mean, that's truly the story of the match. It was sloppy passes by Phoenix turnovers and these amazing transitions and speed from Las Vegas lights. It was the tale of the game. Absolutely, Kelly. My buddy, Scott Summers, he mentioned that we knew how Vegas would play, that they would sit back, absorb pressure and counter. Um, Did they work it to perfection? I think they worked it to perfection, yes. I don't think we really knew what they were going to do because we didn't look very prepared for it. (laughs) I think we underestimated their counterattack, even though this was a hallmark. This was one of the only bright spots for the Las Vegas Lights last season. And yeah, they've even dialed it up this season. They're so quick. Now, they played so defensively, even with their forward line, pulling their forwards back behind the ball. This pulled the the Phoenix rising back line up even higher, creating so much space behind our defense. And, you know, I think that wide open space really was to our disadvantage considering how quick they were on the counter. So I agree with Scott's assessment, except to say, I'm not sure how truly we were prepared despite maybe knowing what their game plan would be. Maybe we just underestimated their ability to execute on that game plan. Gotcha. Okay. So Kelly, um, let's, that, that brings us up to the the end of the first half. And it's not to say that there weren't any bright spots. Do you want to summarize that first half of the game for us? Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, what we've said, though it's not a lot, and though we haven't spent much time talking about it, really summarizes the first half. I mean, we got down... We never really connected, especially moving forward. I mean, despite how much possession we had, that possession did not generate really many chances. There were more, there were a few chances on goal for Phoenix Rising. There were more chances on goal for Las Vegas Lights. I mean, Lunt came up huge with saves all night. If not for him, this is an even worse scoreline for Phoenix Rising at the end of the night. And we could tell that already by the end of the first half, but our attack was really lacking. You know, we just really never connected in the clear, fluid, um, really team-like structure that we saw against Monterey. So definitely some nerves, despite the fact that it was a one-nil scoreline moving into the tunnel at halftime. I think we all knew we were getting beaten and we were getting beaten mentally as well. You know, we didn't seem tough. We seemed scared. We weren't really executing our style of play, but we weren't adjusting to their style of play. Like I said, with all this possession, we were not making short passes. We were making long passes. I mean, they had broken us down and we were really not sure how we were going to recover at that point. Great. Okay. Well, Kelly, on to the second half. And um, Vegas seemed to come out strong in the second half. And there was a little bit of back and forth, but taking us up to the 68th minute is when the second goal of the night came from. And I hate to say that it was the Las Vegas Lights that scored (laughs) again. So it was Alvaro Caseda. 
He was assisted by Danny Trejo, and we talked about Danny Trejo getting that first goal. Kelly, what do you have to say about that second goal? Yeah, again, super rough. I mean, this is a, a long ball played out by their keeper. Phoenix Rising was trying to move forward and move up the pitch, and the Phoenix keeper being, I'm sorry, the Las Vegas keeper just being as experienced as he is, took advantage, played a long ball. Trejo, sorry, I'm not sure who went up for it, but one of the lights players goes up for it and heads it on even further. No Phoenix Rising players make an effort. There were three around that ball. No one jumps despite the huge size advantage that we have. Trejo ends up picking up that possession. No one steps to him. So he advances forward very quickly with that ball. As we know, he's capable of doing flashback to goal number one. And again, no one steps to him. The Phoenix Rising players are, some have turned around to run backwards. Some are running backwards. And now you've got these players that are so quick and nimble moving forward. You know, it's just an advantageous, situation for them they're running forward we're running backward no one steps to him and our defenders are are running away basically and this makes space for Kizaga who's now not going to be pulled offside to run forward as well he gets that pass from Trejo and I mean same thing again he just beats Lunt you know Lunt was overwhelmed at that point with our players and their players just running at him so you know it was really it was really a great play by the Las Vegas lights and it was poor defending. I mean, we just, we got caught with our pants down in the transition again. Okay. On to the 77th minute. So this is about 10 minutes later. And between that time, there was a lot of back and forth play. Um, Joey Calistri intercepted the Vegas goal kick and he was on the right side facing goal, probably on the edge of the 18 yard box. It was hard for me to be sure because the line markings were hardly visible on that pitch. He passed to Claudio Rapedo, who was in a perfect position to shoot. He was straight in front of goal. He needed to do it quickly because the defender was about to jump on him and tackle him. He got the shot off low and hard. The Vegas keeper dived to save it. It looked like he was going to save it, but thankfully it went under him and into the goal. So thankfully he didn't get to that. And at least we put go one goal up. So that's uh Calistri assisting Rapedo. Kelly, what do you think of that? Well, you know, it was pretty interesting and it was nice to have Calistri on the field at that point. You know, we needed him. These were for sure the perfect dynamics for the clutch, the clutch Calistri. <laughs> and, you know, he performs his role. I mean, he's a super sub for a reason, not just because he can lift spirits, lift energy, but he can also identify kind of things that are going wrong. You know, he brought back some pressing Vegas was trying to play out of the back and this was just an error. You know, he just kind of forced a turnover. Now this was hard viewing. It's always hard viewing when Phoenix rising is losing. It's especially hard when you're losing to Vegas, you're kind of watching through your fingers, but I mean, the, the connection, the USL connection, like internet connection was bad. So for the first half, we had trouble viewing. And in this case, they were playing a replay of an earlier play when this goal happened. So the commentators didn't see it happen. The TV audience didn't see it happen. And then they played a replay of the goal. So, 
yes, we didn't catch this the first time. It's hard for us to properly break down exactly what happened, but awesome composure by Calistri. You watch him intercept that pig its head up, calmly pass it to Repetto. As you mentioned, he's in perfect position. Now, would have liked to have seen him put this in the corner, but of course the heat was on and we got totally lucky. The keeper absolutely should have saved this. It was a bit of a blooper reel. Niall, did you think so too? I mean, it was like the ball is in my arms. The ball yeah. is through my arms, like slow motion, everything. It was it was a bit lucky. That's not to take anything away from Repetto, who did his job. I mean, receive the ball, shoot on goal. You're in the perfect spot. So, you know, very thankful we cut that lead in half. And it's at that point, 77th minute, we've still got time. Phoenix Rising, especially with Clutch Calistri on the field, can make things happen with that many minutes left. Yeah, for sure. So Kelly, yeah, there was elements of blooper reel about that that mm -hmm. attempt to save the goal for sure. So as we mentioned, that was in the 77th minute. So from there until the end of the game, that's where I felt that Phoenix started to take over. They saw that there was potentially light at the end of the tunnel and it was a lot more clean passing. It was a, a, a lot of shots on goal from there on out and um i felt like we, i i thought we were going to get another goal um how about you i uh, was you know we were we were off you know i think there were issues with our preparation maybe i think we were thrown by the field a little bit i think we were thrown by how crisp and clean those uh the Las Vegas forwards were playing, you know, I think we were a little bit stunned and I think we did regain some composure, but you know, it was a fine line between turning up the energy and becoming desperate. We had also made some personnel changes by that point in the game, believe it or not, Lambert had been replaced by Sejas who added some forward momentum. You know, he, he's a bit more sort of offensively minded than Kevin Lambert, whose role is to be that defensive um, holding midfielder, if you will. And we also had Clutch Calistri on the field, adding that energy, that spark, um, that intelligence um, from his vantage point as well. So, you know, honestly, Niall, I didn't know if we were going to pull another one back. I was certainly hopeful, but I really didn't feel like we were clicking with those crisp passes the way we needed to be. We just weren't connecting with each other. It felt a little bit desperate. Well, Kelly, I really did think we were going to get a goal. And I really thought that it was going to be in the last kick of the match. And the last kick of the match didn't happen for me during regular time. And what I mean by that is it seemed that this is how it went, that we had five minutes of stoppage time. And right at the five minute mark, we earned a corner. And I think that the ref authorized that corner. And in my mind, when the corner is authorized, that means that we're still going to play that corner. But as we were getting set up to take that corner, the ref blew the final whistle. And I was absolutely floored. <laughs> I was stunned. Okay. Um, so... After that, seconds after that, the lights went out in the stadium and 
we were pretty shocked at that, but you know, this is Vegas, anything can happen. And they did it intentionally so they could have fireworks. Now we've been to other stadiums, we've seen fireworks, but you don't need to turn the lights off all over the stadium to have fireworks. So that, that was a, a bit of an error, I think, on, on the Vegas side. So Kelly, let's talk about how the team did overall on the night. So you've talked about the first half, we talked about the second half. So Ben Lunt was in goal, as we said, um, out of six shots, he conceded two goals, made four saves, that's a 60, four saves, that's a 66% save rate, up from 60% last week against Monterey Bay, but not as good as his record of 73% in previous seasons. So away from Ben Lund, let's talk about the defense. How did the defenders do on the night? Not great. You know, that early goal that we talked about uh, dragged the whole team down, but I think it especially stunned the defense. And like I said, they never really recovered. You know, I think that early goal was in some ways due to a little bit of lethargy, maybe a lack of preparation. And, you know, when you look at some statistics on the evening, there were 84 long passes and there just wasn't much buildup with our fullbacks moving up the field. So, you know, just in contrast, I mentioned there were 84 long passes and I credit that to our back line in large part, compare that to our match against Monterey Bay a week prior, we had 58 long passes. So for a team that has wanted to focus on playing out of the back line, and wants to move the ball through the midfield, long passes up over the pitch just isn't the game plan. So you can see that the game plan has kind of fallen apart and it starts a bit with that back line. Um, There just weren't a part of the buildup the way that they needed to be. King in the second half definitely tried to make things happen, had a few attempts on goal, which was great to see. But I really do think those fullbacks moving up the field and being part of that buildup and part of that attack just didn't come to fruition. In part, I think we were freaked out and too busy focusing on defense rather than playing our game. And we just had trouble moving the ball through the midfield and thus, you know, sort of sort of letting those fullbacks move up the pitch, which would have been an indication that we were playing the game we want to play. So, you know, Manuel Madrid possibly sustained a small injury. He slid off the field. I believe he slid into a bed, not a mattress. We know there's mattresses on the side of the field, but maybe a full-fledged bed and could have been injured. We didn't have anyone to replace him. And we know that he is not our starting left center back. We definitely were missing Musa. You know, Musa isn't the quickest player in the USL, but he's very nimble. He's very agile. I see that as being a huge strength of his compared to Manu, who has a lot of strengths, including his actual physical strength. But we needed someone who was more nimble. And I think the defense looked slow. They looked a step behind. They looked a little shocked. Kelly, in that back line, I thought that Darnell King stood out. I thought he played like a captain last night because at times I saw that he was just making really strong efforts to put the team on his back. He was up against Trejo. So defensively, he had a lot to deal with there. But um, I I thought he was a standout in the back line last night. Okay, moving into the midfield. Are we still thrilled with our midfield, Lambert, Quinn, and Rodriguez? 
We're so thrilled with them. We're delighted to have them. Please stick around. But there's just not a ton to say about their performance on the evening. You know, I don't think Kevin Lambert had his best match. I want to say in a post-game interview, Shantz mentioned that he may have sustained a small injury, um, which is why he came out around the 60th minute replaced by Sejas. I mean, it's a very, I didn't want him off the pitch, but he did make some sloppy passes, caused some turnovers, which you can't do against Las Vegas as we learned the hard way. Um, so it was actually nice to see Sejas come in and to kind of change the mindset and maybe up-level the energy just a little bit. And um, over, other than that, you know, Quinn and Arturo were definitely all over the pitch. Their efforts were huge. Their work rate was high, but they really didn't create many chances, especially with Vegas's compact defense and kind of our fear of a turnover. And I just don't think they played as offensively as they could have. They didn't move the ball particularly well. I think maybe both of them had one or two shots on goal. Um, so, you know, nothing huge in terms of an offensive attack coming out of the midfield. Gotcha. Okay, let's talk about our forwards. My buddy Scott mentioned to me that Phoenix couldn't break down um, the Vegas defense. But for me, it was fun to see us try. Uh, last week against Monterey Bay, we had 13 shots. We had seven shots on target. We had four goals. More than half of our shots were on target. And more than half of our shots on target turned into goals. This week, a different story. We had a massive 21 shots on goal. Only four of those shots were on target, and we only came out with one goal. So that's less than 20% of our shots were on target. Most of those shots, by the way, were blocked uh, by the defenders, not by the goalie. So Las Vegas definitely did have a very strong defensive unit. So Kelly, what are your thoughts on our forwards? Yeah, I think Scott's right. I think we definitely, definitely had a hard time breaking down their defense. And it should be noted, they made an outstanding defensive effort. I mean, there were some huge saves in the goal by their defensive line, <laughs> you know, like their keeper came out and they were there ready to defend that goal. There were, I think they had eight blocks, all huge, all at times when Phoenix really needed a goal. So, you know, they kind of came up aces. Oh, Vegas reference. <laughs> and, you know, statistically, I was actually talking about Santi and Repetto with those two shots all night. I mean, they just did not get a lot of shots off. And I think you have trouble breaking down the defense when the whole team is playing so defensively. You know, our forwards were very tightly marked and the rest of the Vegas team was back to help the defense. There were tons of times when you saw, you know, nine, 10, even 11 players behind the ball playing defense. So I think it would have been smart for our forwards to drop back a bit, you know, towards the Phoenix goal to spread the field a little bit wider, to take the men who were marking them and pull them out a bit wider, create some space behind their defense, and then count on our midfielders to do some of the offensive work. You know, we definitely had a height advantage. It would have been nice to see, you know, our wingers pull the ball out a little bit further, send some balls over the top into the middle, maybe have some runs, but with the compact defense with, you know, we basically had so much possession and we spent so much time in their half and in their third, you know, 
the defense was all back and ready. We made it really difficult for ourselves. We would have done better to use that possession more widely. I hate to see the ball passed backward too much, but we kind of needed to. We needed to stretch out the field and then start putting some balls, you know, more wisely crossed in. Um, so, you know, I just don't know that we used the possession that we had to our advantage and seeing that our forwards were so well marked, we needed to use our midfield more wisely as well. So they weren't very productive. It was tough. It was rough offensively for Phoenix Rising. Yes, it was. All right, Kelly, let's talk about the subs. The coach, Rick Shantz, deployed three of the seven subs. Kevon Lambert was replaced by Luis Sejas. Marcus Epps was replaced by Joey Calistri. Manuel Madrid made way for Ryan Flood. So you've already mentioned how Kevon Lambert was out and Sejas was in. You've already talked about how Calistri was the one who set up Repetto. How about Ryan Flood? How did he do on the night? Nothing to report, quite honestly. He came in quite late. He came in for Manuel Madrid. Never really saw too much of him in the back line. I'm not sure if he was meant to play in that left center back position or if maybe Enjai slotted over and Flood was meant to be in the left fullback position. Or we really just put in, you know, played a three back and put in a body forward. We know that Ryan Flood has a great left foot. So the intent was probably to play him in the forward line, just add some extra firepower up there. Never came to fruition. Yeah. And he was only in for six minutes. So, you know, no huge yeah. disappointment from Ryan no. Flood on the night. Okay. So Kelly, man of the match for you. Benjamin Loot all the way. I mean, as I mentioned this could have been an even more devastating game for Phoenix Rising, if not for some huge saves by Lunt. So man of the match for sure. I think he wasn't as supported as he needed to be. Um, he had some really great low saves. He used his legs well. He used his body well. Boom. Loved it. Okay, great. Okay, Kelly, uh, closing comments. And maybe it's a time for us to talk about some of those shenanigans that were going on in the pitch. <laughs> Luckily, we weren't there to see them. That's all I want to say, because this had to be a frustrating game for all Phoenix Rising fans. As I mentioned, the viewing TV experience was really rough. They just didn't have the right camera angles. Sometimes we couldn't even see the ball. Ugh, it was awful, but I think it was even more awful for fans who'd made the trip and just had to deal with, apparently there was an MC on the field and maybe he was making flagrant comments, although... I'm confused, um, apparently in 2022, to, to say someone's playing like a girl is still the worst insult we can hurl, question mark coming from Kelly McCarthy, but I mean, that's rough. If you're not expecting a field like that, it's going to be very distracting, definitely prone to injury. Uh, like I said, that's a disadvantage for both teams, but it's pretty unacceptable. And you don't get into professional soccer to play on a dirt pitch. You just don't. It looked terrible. But, you know, there are some takeaways. There's always some positives. This was game number two. There's plenty of opportunity to show your medal, to show who you are, to turn it around, to get more tactical, to be smarter. You know, sticking with your own game plan is awesome. But if you don't actually stick to your game plan, then let's learn how to adjust to the way that the other team is playing. So I think we've got some work to do. Rick Shantz mentioned we need to take our opponents more seriously. I think he means when you think you're going to win, when you think it's going to be an easy game, don't. 
And I really appreciate that. I really respect that. And I think we're going to have two more opportunities to show what we can do against the Las Vegas Lights. And I mean, they were a changed team. You've got to give a hat tip for sure to Las Vegas Lights. I mean, they played well. They are a much more mature version of what they were last year. And they're also more aggressive. I mean, there were some real Jersey tugging. They're not a large team, but they were using their speed as a massive advantage. So, you know, we're going to have to change what we do when we face them two times in the future. I know that we're going to, and we have to get strong on the road. We really struggled with our road identity in 2021. I don't want to say really struggled because we did better on the road than some teams, but I think as fans, we were all a little disappointed when we felt like maybe Devin Kerr said it looked like we were always facing a storm. We were deer in headlights constantly on the road. It looked like that again. We don't need that to be part of our identity in 2022. So we need to shape up our next away game needs to be a decisive win at best. And, you know, at worst, more confident, strong play from Phoenix Rising. Great. Well, Kelly, we've got two opportunities for revenge on the Las Vegas Lights. So we're going to take full advantage of that, I'm sure. Kelly, this has been great. It's great talking football with you. Thanks for coming on. My pleasure. Thanks for having me now. This is Teo Mackey from the Arizona Republic, and you're listening to The Fan Experience. Hey guys, before I bring on John Morrissey, I just want to give a quick shout out to everyone who's covering Phoenix Rising in 2022. Jake Anderson does a great job covering the team for 98.7 Arizona Sports. Jake was a guest panelist on this show last year and we had so much fun. Harrison Campbell, shout out to him. He covers the team for Cronkite, that's ASU's School of Journalism. Teo Mackey has been writing a lot about Rising for the Arizona Republic. Teo joined us on last week's show. It was so good. Can't wait to have him back. Ramon, Edwin and Owen cover the team for PHNX Rising. We're very grateful to Owen for joining us on the fan experience for many fun episodes last year. Then on the Spanish-speaking side of things, Juan Uresti did an incredible job with 90 Mass Rising. And just in the last few weeks, he started working at Univision, the Spanish-speaking TV station. Obviously, nice one, Juan. Juan was on the show here for a game roundup and a fan story last year. It was so much fun. I caught up with him recently, and he told me that he's not yet on camera, but when the time comes, he hopes to cover Rising for Univision. How awesome is that so i'm sure there are tons of others covering the team and apologies for not giving them a shout out but one that i want to give a special shout out to is total rising total rising is a new show that's hosted by my buddy danny arona and el rafa sanchez and they bring a bilingual experience of phoenix rising they go back and forth with english and spanish and it's going to be an awesome show because they are awesome guys so the reason i'm doing this is because all the people that i mentioned helped us helped me here on the fan experience by coming on the show are in other ways and I'm just so grateful it's just been a fantastic 2021 season and we're off to a great start well we had a fantastic off season too and then we're off to a great start with the 2022 season so I'm just I just want to give a shout out and recognize all these people and please support them when you see them on Facebook on Instagram on 
the TV, wherever. So, guys, thank you so much. And let's get to uh, John. So our next segment is with John Morrissey. So, John, um, he's going to keep us up to date on the games and the news that matter to Phoenix Rising fans. John, welcome to the show. It's week two. What have you got for us? Yeah, Niall, so happy to be back talking about the league once again for the first time this year. Um, I think the natural place to start would be with Monterey Bay, who Phoenix uh, played last week. They lost again with a one nothing scoreline against Colorado Springs. And I think as any rising fan really could have told you, this is a team that struggles immensely with defensive turnovers. And that pattern really repeated itself. And that was worsened by the fact that Colorado Springs is one of the most aggressive pressing sides in the entirety of the USL. And I think they're someone to watch out for in this conference when you're thinking about maybe some of the early tiers and who's really popping out. They've got this great front four. I think Haji Berry, Michigalina, uh, Elvis Mo has been excellent. They've got so much gravity, so much pace, uh, looking very strong. And it got them what was probably a somewhat friendly scoreline against Monterey Bay. So uh, moving on in the West, I think San Diego is really the big storyline, though. For me, they've been maybe the best or second best team in the entirety of the USL so far. In terms of what they do that's so effective, they play this system that looks like a 4-4-2 in defense, but then when they get the ball, it changes into this sort of 3-4-3 shape where they push up one of their defenders much higher. Um, and that front three has just driven everything for them so far. Um, I have it on good word that Kyle Vassell, their new striker, is the most expensive player in the league. He has been a physical beast in holdup, and it allows the other two members of that front three, Tumi Bushobain and uh, Alejandro Guido, to just play with so much freedom, make these clever runs off of the holdup. They drubbed Sacramento, who I had as one of my title contenders in the preseason. Um, so San Diego is for real. And I do want to put in a good word for Sacramento. They've had some struggles with uh, getting players in with visas, and they did get a nice three to one win in the opening week against El Paso. So those two teams for me, alongside Phoenix, are probably the class of the conference right now. Um, another big story out of the West uh, was the sale of Renaldo Damas away from uh, Orange County. Obviously, that was the playoff MVP, just a super talented young player. OC scraped out a 97th minute winner against a somewhat weak Rio Grande side over the weekend. And I kind of struggle to see them in the playoff race at this moment, especially given the Damas exit. But there's someone to keep an eye on just because you can see uh, at the end of last year how this is a team that can really hunker down defensively and do some effective things. And then one other thing to note in the West was just that New Mexico Derby win over um, El Paso. El Paso with two losses and New Mexico with two wins at this point. But you got to feel like both sides are strong. El Paso has come off somewhat unlucky and their new signing, Emmanuel Sanupe. Uh, you'll see him on the right wing. He's incredibly pacey, incredibly dynamic. This is a team that's going to be quite all right. Um, they've played around with the false nine a little bit, and they've got new management, but I see both sides as playoff teams. Moving over to the East, uh, some of the things really are as expected. Louisville, alongside San Diego, has been the strongest team in the league for me, and they've shown a surprising amount of tactical flexibility uh, and a lot of strength in the attack, given that Cameron Lancaster has been injured in their opening match. Uh, they broke out a three at the back formation, but then they adjusted and did a four at the back when they played Miami because it suited what they needed to do tactically. I think there's a real scenario where if you're a Phoenix fan and you do get lucky enough to get into the title match, 
it would be against this Louisville team, and they are very prepared to meet you however you need to attack. And I think the same thing goes for Tampa Bay. They drew in week one, but they looked completely dominant against Indianapolis in the second week. Uh, one player to note in terms of what Tampa's been doing is Jake LaCava. He's on loan this year from the New York Red Bulls system, and he has just been excellent as a member of their front three attacking line. Uh, he's a player who I always liked in New York, really good on the dribble, really good at driving transition. And in that Tampa Bay system, he has just been free to do whatever he wants and has looked excellent. And one other note from the East, just out of personal interest, has been the rise of Loudoun United so far. Um, this is really the swan song season for the MLS2 sides across the USL, it seems. And a lot of them just aren't very competitive. I think Atlanta in particular is dire this season and their average age of a player is like 18 and a half. But Loudoun on the other hand has been excellent. They brought in some guys uh, with some sort of end of bench MLS experience, but they really retained the core players who made them halfway decent last year as well. So Teddy Cudi Pietro and Kamarni Smith, the two names that popped out there. Di Pietro is a number 10 linking sort of player. And Kamarni Smith is a really pacey, strong forward. They will play this 3-4-3 system that possesses the ball at the back. They've got three strong center backs in that regard, but they're so direct. They press you with such ferocity and they get these overlaps from their wing backs that are just incredibly high and aggressive. I'll be so curious to see how they fare against maybe some better competition. Think about a Louisville in that context. But right now, I have them as a team that's firmly in the playoff race in the East, and I think that's super exciting. But yeah, lots to break down across the league so far. Nothing too hugely surprising, but we'll see how things go in the coming weeks. Awesome updates, John. Thank you. I really appreciate how you make the results and the news relevant to Rising fans. It's great to have you with us. Thank you, John. How's it going, guys? This is Daniel Orona from Arizona Deportiva. You are listening to The Fan Experience. Phoenix Rising family, Kelly McCarthy and I went to California for spring break. And while we were there, we took in a soccer game. We're big on supporting local soccer. And the biggest local soccer game that was in town was the LA Galaxy. Kelly, how was your first MLS experience? Well, it was really what I expected. It was sort of bigger and grander and more pomp and circumstance than you would get at a USL match. And there's a lot to be said for that. So it was pretty fun. Okay. So people talk about the parking in LA. So what was the parking like <laughs> as you were on your way to that game on Saturday? Well, actually, the parking wasn't problematic at all, which is pretty amazing. LA traffic has been absolutely horrible, but to be honest with you, getting into the stadium, getting our parking passes checked in, literally getting to the parking lot, walking over to the venue, hassle-free, not an issue. Big surprise. Awesome, awesome. So for me, as soon as we got in line so there are four lanes bringing you into the stadium and over the top there's huge gates and this this huge metal banner over the top saying something like we are la galaxy and the huge la galaxy logo and at that moment i just felt like whoa this is a big deal and i'm not an la galaxy fan i'm not a fan of any mls team but i felt like i was part of something as soon as we drove in did you feel that absolutely i mean it's the branding it was on point 
Um, as I mentioned, not only was it sort of efficient getting in there, but yeah, there's imagery all over and you feel like the experience starts now. Absolutely. So there was a little bit of tailgating going on, nothing crazy. It was kind of lightweight, but um, but we, we saw that and we said hi to some people and then we went over to, to the entry to the stadium. So when you're in Phoenix, when you go to a Phoenix Rising game, you get in line and, you know, the lines aren't particularly long. I was expecting a crazy long line because I think it was a pretty full house that night with over 20,000 people at the LA Galaxy Stadium. So tell us about getting into the stadium. Yeah, also a non-event, which is cool. That's sort of what you want when you're going into a stadium. I think they allow entrance on both sides, so effectively cutting the crowds in half, which is a great idea. And then there's also multiple lanes. There's also metal detectors, so rather than being individually wanded, you're just walking through. So, you know, all of that speeds up the process. And then once you're inside the gates, boom, you're essentially hit in the face with a beautiful pitch. It's right in front of you. It's gorgeous. There's players out there practicing. You're, you're at an elevated vantage point. So you're basically just like, ah, <laughs> looking down at it. And it, it, it meets the mark, you know, like that branding when you first enter. Like you basically right away get what you came for. Soccer yeah. pitch. Yeah, I felt exactly the same way. That, that was a fantastic feeling. Okay, so before we went to our seats, and we'll talk about where we were sitting, we walked around the concourse. So what was, what was that like? Was it difficult to get food? Was food super expensive? How did it compare? Yeah, it was really, again, a non-event. It was a bit nondescript for me. I mean, there weren't exciting food options. It wasn't themed. It wasn't like, oh, there's a strong culture of this or that. You know, it was basically hot dogs, pretzels, possibly pizza. So, you know, there were a lot of kiosks, if you will, or entry points for eating. So that's nice. None of the lines seem too long. None of that fare interests us. So we were just walking around and observing. Um, there were a few food trucks. There were a few areas for congregating and getting things that were a little more unique than stadium food. But, you know, again, efficiency was kind of the name of the game. Yeah. And the prices um, in Phoenix were paying $4 for the most delicious fries that I've ever had in my life, mm. I want to add. Um, at the stadium there, the fries were $9. So people do complain about the price point. Um, so the food was more expensive, um, you know, period. I'll just leave it at that. So what, whatever, whatever takeaway you want from that, fine by me. Okay, so we, we got to our seats. So tell us about our seats and tell us about, um, you know, the, the feel of the seating in general in the stadium. Yeah, I mean, it's a huge stadium. On one side, there's a second level, and that's where we sat. You know, to be fair, the, the stadium was almost close to sold out when we bought our tickets, so we didn't necessarily have the pick of the stadium. So we we're sort of on the second tier on the side that has a second level of seating. The cool thing about that second tier is that it is covered, which is amazing. So it's an open-air stadium, but this section is sort of covered. It's almost like, what would you call that? Like an not really an awning. I don't know if it was mesh, but it did protect us certainly from the sun. In fairness, it was a cool day. So maybe wouldn't have minded the sun, but that was a really nice perk. Like I guess technically you have the worst seats in the house, but then they're covered. So that's a major benefit. Now, even though we were the highest tier of seating, we were in the front row and we had amazing seats. I mean, your view of the field is unparalleled. You know, it's kind of like you go to the theater and you're in the balcony and it's like, 
Ah, that's that's a great way to view a game. So certainly from a tactical perspective, you could see all the movement on the field. You could see everything really quite crisply. Now, that said, this is an MLS game. Jumbotron is huge. There's a lot going on in the Jumbotron, and I think this was sort of a factor. You're wanting to look at it to see the game, and instead they're showing the crowd. So for me, you know, that kind of speaks to the fan experience, and I'm, I'm getting ahead of us here, but... Um, it's tempting to watch a Jumbotron when you're sitting kind of far up in a stadium. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So um, before we jump into, you know, after kickoff, let's talk about that whole before the kickoff experience. So I think that there was like um, a huge announcement in the stadium saying, hey, the game's about to start, get in here, because there were fireworks. Like, we totally didn't expect that, even though we were in our seats and we were eating our whatever we were eating and um, and ready for the game to start. It was like, whoa, like, time to pay attention here. So everybody's looking at the field. And then then they had uh, the national anthem, I think, was the next thing. No, no, did they announce the, the, the starting 11 then? Which came first? It was, it was either the national anthem or the starting 11. Gee, so, good question. I'm not sure, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so either way, yeah. the National Anthem, it was it was so good. Yeah. So tell us about yeah. it. Yeah, it was really great. I mean, the singer was fantastic. She was local, but possibly well-known to the crowd. And then at the end of it, sort of that part of the star-spangled banner where people start cheering, you know, three quarters through the song. Instead, they set off fireworks that were pretty intense. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, just generally, I would say the whole the whole auditory experience was pretty intense. Like, you know, I don't know if all MLS teams handle it this way, but it's part of that pomp and circumstance that I mentioned, that production, the production value. Music was super loud, literal fireworks coming from the pitch. You know, if you had, for example, were were sensitive or have a child that has sensory issues, like this is not the place to go. Like it was seriously loud. Yeah, for but, sure. Yeah, so that, that got everyone paying attention, got everyone involved. They also did a lot of gimmicky things, which I have no complaints about. Like, that's what people go for. But t-shirt tosses, you know, with like a t-shirt launcher. Um, they had a thing like, show us your bicep flex flex cam. <laughs> so they go around and people would flex while holding up their scarves. So things to get people more riled up. And I will say, it seemed like people were drinking a lot and congregating out in the concourse a lot. So I think they kind of were looking for different ways to get people actually in their seats. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So I think it was the National Anthem, and then after that, they announced the starting 11 for the LA Galaxy. The starting 11 for Orlando City happened way earlier. Nobody cared about that. There was no Orlando fans in the stadium. Maybe three. <laughs> three. <laughs> um, but... Yeah, the, the starting 11. So the starting 11, I loved, I still do, I love how we do it in Phoenix. So we've got the um, the announcer is calling out the names and as he's calling out the names of the starting 11, little videos of the players come up on the Jumbotron um, in the Phoenix Rising Stadium. It's different in the LA Galaxy Stadium and it's kind of next level. Would you agree, Kelly? I think it's next level in the sense that they do something we're also big fans of and that maybe we sort of tip our hat to in Phoenix because when they announce the starting 11, they just say the first name of the player and the audience responds with the last name. And at the same time, you've got that player coming up on the Jumbotron with their full name. So, you know, if you're not a season ticket holder and maybe don't know all the players' names, you're ready to participate. So yeah, I think that's a way to get you hyped as well. 
And related to that, you know, you've got the crowd yelling, but they also have the crowd either piped or kind of pre-recorded. So there's always crowd sounds coming from the overhead speakers, which makes even more ambience and sort of more um, hype, if you will, because it's like you're you're hearing the crowd multiplied. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it was mostly the supporters section, but not always. So let's talk about the supporters section. So I think it was the South End where it had the majority of the supporters, but we mentioned in this podcast before that um, the supporters section is split at LA Galaxy Games. And I really wanted to experience that. I wanted to see like where they were in relation to each other and if there was any interaction or if there was just pure hate to each other. So Kelly, tell us like on one side, as I mentioned, let's call it the South End. There were the big flags and what you'd expect supporter section and they were all out and fantastic. So where were the other supporters sitting? They were almost opposite them. I wouldn't say they were in the north end, but maybe the northwest corner of the stadium or something. We couldn't, we didn't have a great view of them from our seats, but I would guess they were probably at least half in size. They were a lot less of a presence um, than, I think they were called the LA County Angels or something. Maybe the supporters called themselves. I think so. Um, but they were more dominant. Now, again, we they were facing us so it's possible we heard them more as a result of that but it seemed they had way more chance also there was kind of a call and response that happened between the supporters groups was which was really cool like the south end crowd who was much louder as i mentioned would yell la and then the other supporter section would respond back galaxy and you could see that the south end was kind of initiating all of those call and responses and those cheers when they were in tandem so it seemed that was the more dominant group yeah absolutely so kelly what about the fan interaction during the game was there anything notable there I mean, not really. You know, you're further removed from the pitch than you would be at a Phoenix Rising game. You know, you're not yelling to the players. Not that you should ever yell to the players. Not that I do. But, you know, you're not going to hear each other. It's not like you can impact the coaching by yelling at the coaches. That's not me. Um, But... Yeah, so no, the players aren't really acknowledging the fans, at least it didn't seem from our vantage point. When they came into the pitch, which was a rather cool procession, they they really march kind of along the stadium. I got a video of it before they come onto the pitch, before the national anthem, and that was kind of a moment, you know, that was an event, and they were acknowledging and kind of giving high fives to fans. But after that, they felt pretty far removed. Yeah. And we can't really comment on any halftime show because we were out walking around the concourse and trying to get our steps. We're we're mostly, yeah, get our steps. Where most people were walking around the concourse. So um, at the end, getting out of there was very, very easy. The The gates on the opposite sides from where we came in were open and we just streamed out of there and we were on the freeway really quickly. And it was a Saturday, so traffic was was flowing really easily on the freeway. So Kelly, I'm not talking about the game as well. Should I be? Is there anything that you want to mention about what happened during the game or, or, or what the level of play was? No, it was pretty much as expected. It was a good game. It was a fun game. Shout out to Orlando City. They definitely impressed me. They were better than I was expecting. You know, they removed the firecracker shooting system off the pitch pretty quickly. They covered turf on top of where you would see, you know, the sprinkler heads. So it was clean. Um, The pitch was beautiful. But no, there was nothing surprising or noteworthy that happened. Except... 
if you don't mind my commenting, at halftime they mentioned this, and then at the end of the game they mentioned they encouraged fans to stick around. Do you remember why, Niall? Los Dos. That's right. So, want to see Los Dos play? This is the way. They encouraged all LA Galaxy ticket holders from the match to stay. Uh, the game probably ended at what time? Around 2.15, 2.30. And the Los Dos game was starting at either 4 or 4.30. So hang around, get something to eat, and watch Los Dos. Uh, they're playing today at the time of this recording against San Antonio. So that's the match we would have watched if we didn't have plans with friends later in the day. Absolutely. <laughs> okay, so as I mentioned, getting out of there was no problem. It was a fun day, fun experience, really glad to have experienced it. Kelly, what was the final score and what was your feeling on that? The final score was zero to one, LA lost. And that goal, by the way, was scored in the 10th minute by Orlando City. So, you know, it was a good game despite the fact that there weren't a lot of points on the board. But, you know, for me, I was paying attention to what does it mean to, to have an MLS team? Now, obviously that's going to be different depending on what city you're in. There's two MLS in, in LA. So, you know, you can't, it's not the rule, it's my one experience, but that's kind of the lens that I was viewing it through. It's just like, how does this differ? And to be honest, it felt a little bit like going to the circus. It felt like going to a grand event. It had all of the things that you would want in terms of the production value. And that was fun. And the quality of the soccer was good and you're watching it with a great view. So absolutely no complaints. For me, and maybe it's what I'm used to, or maybe it's what I prefer, it missed the feeling of it being your local team. Now, it's not my local team, <laughs> but I didn't really feel like anyone had that same passionate vibe. You know, it just, you didn't feel like you were part of this soccer game as much as you felt like you were at an event. Okay, Kelly, you're feeling exactly what I'm feeling, and that is that I can't wait to be with our boys back at Wild Horse Pass. USL all the way, baby. Go Rising. Go Rising. Okay. 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 This is Phoenix Rising supporter Sarah Beth. And Alex Cryer. And you're listening to... The Fan Experience. <laughs> That's almost it for this week, my friends. Before we go, let's preview our next game where we host San Diego Loyal at Wild Horse Pass on Saturday 26th. Kickoff is scheduled for 7.30 p.m. Starting with the good news, before San Diego come to Phoenix, they'll have a midweek game. Awesome. It's an away game. Awesome. Where they travel to Oklahoma. Awesome. To play FC Tulsa, who are high on the power rankings for this season. Also awesome. Tulsa will be feeling strong after their convincing 3-1 win in their last match over another good Eastern Conference team, Birmingham Legion. San Diego will have their hands full with FC Tulsa and then they'll have to make their way to Phoenix, a very inhospitable atmosphere for San Diego who played twice in Wild Horse Pass last year. Phoenix beat them 4-1 in the first game and the teams drew 2-all in the second game. We played San Diego Loyal two other times last year, both in San Diego, where they beat us 2-1 in the first game but we had a revenge and we beat them 1-0 in the second game. 
Okay, the bad news. San Diego appear to have a very good squad who won both of their opening games. They beat LA Galaxy 2 Los Dos 2-1 and they beat John Morrissey's top-ranked team Sacramento Republic 2-0. San Diego maintained many of their starters from last year, but rising fans will be glad to know that Corey Herzog, who almost famously said, I hate Phoenix, is no longer with them. Awesome. San Diego brought on several new notables. They have two new centre-backs, Nico Boxall, who comes from playing in Finland, and Kyle Adams, who has several years of USL experience as a left centre-back. You'll recognise his long blonde hair if you watched Real Monarchs in 2021, and before that when he played with RGV. Boxhall and Adams are both from New Zealand, just like our centre-back, James Musa. What is it about New Zealand and quality centre-backs? Well, if you figure that out, let me know. San Diego Loyal have three new forwards. Kyle Vassell is their new striker. He's the third English player on the team. He's 29 years old and is currently on the national team roster for Northern Ireland. Additionally, he has a wealth of experience playing in the English leagues. Another new forward of theirs is Evan Conway. Conway played with Phoenix Rising's Greg Hurst at League One side Union Omaha last year. In their time together with Union Omaha, Greg Hurst scored 13 goals in 29 appearances, while Conway scored 16 goals in 32 appearances. Nice work, boys. The third new forward for San Diego is Nick Moon. Nick joins their attack on the left side from Eastern Conference team in the 11. Finally, they signed Andrew Carlton, who has been up to no good off the field before arriving in SoCal. Both the club and San Diego Loyal supporters group issued statements about the signing of Andrew Carlton. Not just announcements, actual statements, basically saying, let's give the kid a chance. You can check out this 21-year-old's backstory under the heading Discipline Issues and Distractions on Wikipedia. There you have a few of the updates on the new San Diego Loyal signings. If you take a look at the crew that stayed on from last year, well, you'd recognize a lot of names like Elijah Martin and Jack Metcalf. Both of those guys are very threatening fullbacks. And then there's the defensive midfielder, Colin Martin, and their captain, Charlie Adams. Then onto the attackers, Alejandro Guido and Tumi Mishibane. Both of those guys stuck around. Both of them are well capable when they get inside the final third. If it's not too late, check out that Wednesday night game between San Diego Loyal and FC Tulsa. It'll be aired on ESPN+. After that, get excited for Saturday's game at Wild Horse Pass. We've only played two games so far this season, but we've scored five goals, all from different players, including a goal apiece from our new forwards, Rapetto and Hurst. I'm not losing any sleep over the loss to Vegas, but I'm already so excited for our boys to destroy San Diego Loyal that I probably won't sleep a whole lot on Friday night thinking about it. 4-0 this Saturday. Back home. Back on track. Go Rising! <laughs>